0: Welcome to the MCG Pediatric Podcast. I am Catherine Peralta, a general pediatrician and recent graduate of the residency program at the Medical College of Georgia. Today we will be discussing the impact of technology use on children and how pediatricians can counsel families on appropriate use to ensure healthy development and well-being. To help with our discussion, I'm being joined by Dr. Jacob Eichenberger, who is a pediatric hospitalist at the Children's Hospital of Georgia. Welcome, Jake.
1: Thanks, Kate. It's great to be here. The reality is we are living in a technology-saturated world. How many times have we seen parents pull out their phone to distract their fussy child? Recommendations for appropriate technology use can be challenging for a pediatrician since it's become a central part of our daily lives.
0: That's right. So how much is too much? And what is and isn't okay from a pediatrician's standpoint? Let's get our discussion started with a clinical case. Mikey comes in for his six-month well visit. Overall, he is growing and meeting his expected developmental milestones. His parents have been letting Mikey watch YouTube videos of nursery rhymes for 45 minutes a day to help build his vocabulary. His mom wants to know if there's anything else they can do to help him with his language development.
1: Great case. First of all, the American Academy of Pediatrics, or AAP as we'll be calling it, discourages any amount of screen time for children under two years old.
0: So... Based on this information, Mikey is getting more screen time than what's recommended for his age?
1: That's right. But let's be honest, most children are likely being introduced to technology and screen time very early as our society becomes more reliant on smart devices. While many caregivers might use technology as a distraction, other parents like Mikey's mom may feel that technology can contribute to their child's development.
0: Good point. A study by the group Common Sense Media reported that parents of children under age 8 had positive views regarding screen media use, and most of these parents also reported no concerns about the amount of screen time their children had, and about 70% of those parents also felt that media use helped with learning.
1: Perception, however, may not always correlate with evidence-based data. Research suggests that the effectiveness of watching videos as a tool for learning depends on the developmental age of the child. In the case of Mikey, at six months of age, there is no evidence that watching videos of nursery rhymes will help accelerate language development.
0: So Jake, what about the hundreds of apps and videos out there labeled as educational that teach things like words, colors, or numbers? Some of them seem much better than plopping a child in front of non-educational content.
1: Uh, That's a good point, Kate, and these can be very attractive to parents. However, studies of children under age two have shown that those who were routinely exposed to videos designed to help them build vocabulary showed no difference in language acquisition compared to the children who were not.
0: Interesting. We know that children less than two years old have immature attention skills and limited symbolic understanding. Because of this, they have difficulty transferring knowledge from the screen to a three-dimensional experience.
1: And we also know that direct interaction and emotional connections are so important for early childhood development of language, cognition, social skills, and emotion regulation.
0: So technology should be a tool, not a replacement for development.
1: Exactly. This means that parents or caregivers who choose to introduce technology to their children need to be present and engage with the child when they use the technology, watching with them and reteaching the content.
0: So how much is too much screen time?
1: That depends on the age and in the context of appropriate development. Uh, we mentioned earlier that any amount or type of screen time for children under two years old is discouraged. For preschool-aged children that are three to five years old, the recommendation is no more than 30 minutes to one hour per day of high-quality programming.
0: What about school-aged children? Many school assignments now involve required computer or internet screen time, both at school and at home.
1: Good point, Kate. It's uh, quite normal and expected that media rules will change as the child ages. Middle and high school students even use social media to connect with each other to complete homework and group projects. As a child becomes more invested in technology and uses other types of media, parents should continue to evolve expectations and communicate these with the children. But that still means setting limitations on time and access.
0: We should point out that media use does exclude live video chatting where a child might be able to interact with others in real time. But again, younger children still need active parental support to understand what they are seeing.
1: Yes, as we all learned during the COVID-19 pandemic, the ability to video chat greatly enhances our ability to maintain social connections with distant friends and relatives.
0: Yeah, great point. As a busy physician, I admit that my attention is constantly on my smartphone to communicate with others and organize my day. Even our medical documentation is now all accessed and completed electronically. So what are your thoughts about parental screen time?
1: Good question, Kate. And as a parent, I'd love to talk about other people who may or may not be just like me. Multiple studies have shown that parent technology use is a strong predictor of child media use. In fact, one study reported that 27% of parents surveyed described themselves as feeling addicted to mobile devices.
0: So parental technology overuse means there's less direct parent-child interaction in play.
1: That's right. Remember, children are natural imitators. They tend to mimic what they see their parents do. So if parents are using screens rather than interacting with others, there is a good chance that their children will also turn to screens for entertainment.
0: Okay, let's continue our discussion with another clinical case. Erica is a 16-year-old who presents to clinic for a well check. She is attending class virtually due to the COVID-19 pandemic. She was previously a straight-A student, but now her grades have started to fall. She's having difficulty waking up in the morning to attend her virtual school sessions. She admits she does not have a real bedtime and is on social media and chatting with friends throughout the night. In the last year, Erica has also gained about 15 pounds.
1: Two common physical health consequences of excess screen time are sleep disturbances and risk of developing obesity, and both conditions lead to a variety of other comorbid conditions.
0: That's right. A study published in the journal Obesity in 2014 found that among two-year-old children, every hour per week of media consumed was correlated with a small but significant increase in body mass index, or BMI.
1: I'm not surprised by that. Excess screen time cuts into time that the child could be engaging in physical activity outside.
0: According to the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity, food advertising has been linked to higher obesity risk via digital ads. Children who are using screen media have a higher chance of being exposed to digital advertising for high-calorie, low-nutrient foods.
1: Watching television or internet videos during mealtimes increases the risk of overeating. For example, the child becomes fixated on the screen and unable to appropriately respond to hunger cues. This leads to the risk of overeating during meals. Studies have also shown that screen media use is inversely correlated with fruit and vegetable intake and directly correlated with nutrient-poor snacks, drinks, and food.
0: So, Jake, how are sleep problems associated with screen time?
1: Well, it's well known that a television in the bedroom is associated with increased risk of sleep disturbances. But now we have phones and tablets that are portable. Many adolescents and adults are in bed looking at their phones or tablets right before they fall asleep.
0: Good point, Jake. Being exposed to light from screens at night can suppress melatonin production and contribute to sleep difficulties.
1: It seems obvious, but media devices in the bedroom are also less likely to be monitored by the adult caregivers for content. Children are at risk of exposure to violent or disturbing content, which increases the risk of further sleep problems.
0: In addition to poor sleep, how else does excess screen time impact the behavioral health of children?
1: As far back as the 1970s, studies have shown that children with increased television watching had increased risk for behavioral problems. In a 2019 Canadian study, preschool children who were involved in greater than two hours per day of screen use were five times more likely to have inattention problems. Children might also use screens to alleviate feelings such as boredom, loneliness, and frustration. Research has also shown that excessive media use is correlated with a loss of emotional regulation across all age groups.
0: Yeah, who hasn't witnessed that the toddler who throws a tantrum when you take away their tablet... Or the sulking teenager without their smartphone.
1: In addition to the behavioral issues, excess screen time has also been associated with mental health effects such as increased anxiety and depression and addiction among older children.
0: And teenagers are at risk for increased social anxiety due to the lack of social interaction as screen media has substituted former peer interaction.
1: You bring up a good point, Kate. There have been multiple studies that have shown that teens who engage heavily in social media are at higher risk for poor body image and have increased risk of disordered eating. And these kids are also more prone to maladaptive online behaviors such as surveillance of others, disclosure of personal information, or posting inappropriate photos online.
0: Let's continue our discussion with another clinical case. Sarah presents for an urgent clinic visit requested by her mother. Sarah has been struggling academically and has become withdrawn. During her individual interview with you, she reports one of her friends spread a rumor about her having sexually transmitted infections. She keeps getting messages that she is disgusting and should kill herself. She's tearful and just wishes everyone would leave her alone.
1: While this is just an example, it is disturbing that cases like this are becoming commonplace.
0: While the rise of social media has been a valuable way of sharing information and connecting people, social media has its dark side with potential exposure to cyberbullying, online harassment, sexting, social isolation, and inappropriate exposure to explicit material. Teenagers are particularly vulnerable as they depend on peer validation for their sense of well-being, and social media opens them up to exponential numbers of potential influences.
1: A survey from Common Sense Media estimated that at least 22% of teenagers log on to social media sites more than 10 times per day, and more than half of adolescents log on to a social media site more than once per day. But those are pre-pandemic statistics. And unfortunately, profound psychosocial outcomes including depression, anxiety, severe isolation, and even suicide have been associated with social media.
0: Yeah, there are so many unfortunate stories in the news of adolescents and children committing suicide after cyberbullying. Cyberbullying or any online harassment includes a range of harmful words and actions that take place in the digital world. It can be over text, email, online forums, apps, social media platforms like Instagram, or online video games. Children may be victims, bystanders, or even the perpetrator of cyberbullying.
1: A study in 2019 found that 37% of young people between the ages of 12 and 17 have been bullied online. That's over a third of our adolescents. Unlike traditional bullying, cyberbullying is often the outcome of impulse rather than calculation, and it occurs behind a screen. Cyberbullying disproportionately affects girls more than boys, as girls are more likely to be victims and perpetrators of cyberbullying.
0: Teens are less likely to report cyberbullying, as only 1 in 10 teens will tell a trusted adult about cyberbullying. So what can we do as providers to help our families understand the risks?
1: That's a great question. Um, similar to traditional bullying, cyberbullying has an impact on a child's mental health and well-being. It can lead to anxiety and depression, as we said, sleep disturbances, and can cause academic difficulties. Young people who experience cyberbullying are at a greater risk for both self-harm and suicidal behaviors. And often parents look toward their child's pediatrician for help. It's important for providers to screen for depression, self-harm, or harming others for any child experiencing bullying.
0: Should a parent restrict online access if their child is being bullied?
1: That's a good question. If the child is the victim of online harassment, I would suggest not restricting a child's access to their device or their time online, as this may be perceived as punishment for being a victim of bullying. The child may also be less willing to talk to the parent about bullying situations in the future. However, I do recommend monitoring content and encouraging the parents to talk with their child about their bullying experience. Studies show that having just one person listen and support kids who have been bullied helps them to be better able to handle the situation in a healthy way.
0: So how do parents address the bigger issue of cyberbullying? What type of action can be done to stop the harassment?
1: When adults respond quickly and consistently to bullying behavior, this sends the message that it is not acceptable. Initial steps would be to not respond or forward cyberbullying messages and block the perpetrator. Documenting dates, times, and descriptions of instances when cyberbullying has occurred can be helpful. Parents can save and print screenshots, emails, and text messages. This is helpful when reporting to authorities. The laws regarding cyberbullying depend on where you live There are states that consider cyberbullying as criminal. If it is a classmate that is bullying, report the behavior to the school. In many states, schools are required to address cyberbullying in their anti-bullying policy. If someone is threatening physical harm, sending sexually explicit material or messages, engaging in stalking or hate crimes, then report the bullying to law enforcement.
0: Online sites like safekids.com has excellent resources for navigating things like cyberbullying with trusted sources from the American Psychological Association. Connect Safely is also a great resource. It helps parents navigate the apps and games their children might be using and how to report harassment. Another concerning issue regarding social media that pediatricians need to be aware about is the issue of sexting. Sexting refers to sending, receiving, or forwarding sexually explicit messages, photographs, or images via cell phone, computer, or other digital devices.
1: Unfortunately, many of these images can be distributed rapidly and cannot be undone once it is out there. This has become a problem, especially among teenagers with legal consequences, not to mention the emotional distress and adverse mental health effects on victims. Pediatricians are encouraged to also address this risk to both the patient and parents during well visits.
0: Another concerning issue that I want to bring up regarding technology use is the risk of targeted advertising. It's important to help parents be aware that advertisements, especially on social media sites, operate by gathering information on the person and then targeting that person's profile to influence purchasing options.
1: That's right. Information is being gathered the minute the child or anyone begins clicking or posting on social media. Targeted advertising includes sponsored content, influencers, data collection, persuasive design, and personalized behavioral marketing, which is driven by machine learning.
0: The Children's Online Privacy and Protection Act was written in 1998 and revised in 2013 to protect children's digital data from being collected and sold. However, children's apps invade these privacy rules by stating apps are for general audiences. It's been found that collection of mobile device-derived data has been highest in children's apps.
1: An analysis of the most downloaded free apps for children younger than 5 years on Google Play reported that 96% contained commercial content. These included hidden ads, ads that pop up automatically, and ads that, when viewed, provided incentives such as more game tokens or making gameplay easier.
0: Children don't really understand the concept of digital privacy and are much more likely to enable applications that track location or allow access to digital files such as photos and private messages. So Jake, what advice do you have for parents when it comes to setting limits on technology and screen use?
1: I recommend families have technology-free zones in the house, such as in the bedroom and at the dinner table during mealtimes. Screen time shouldn't always be alone time. For example, if the child is using the internet, have the child sit at a table in the same room as the adult where the screen is easily visible. This helps the parent easily monitor content. Parents should make an effort to participate with the child during some of these screen activities such as gaming or watching educational content together.
0: What about parental control options?
1: Most major media platforms, including digital television services, computer and video games, mobile devices, etc., provide options for parents to restrict the access of content to their children. These options allow parents to choose how much a child spends online or what content the child can or cannot view. However, remember that children are smart and tech savvy. While there are many parental control options, there are also just as many methods to bypass parental controls. So parents still need to continue to monitor what their children are doing and seeing online.
0: As we recommend parents carefully monitor online content, it's also important to understand that a child's privacy risks violation every time we access the internet or download a mobile game app.
1: You bring up a good point, Kate. Did you know that the main violators of a child's online privacy are their parents? There is this term out there called sharenting. This refers to the use of social media by parents to share content based on their children.
0: That's right. A child's digital footprint potentially starts before birth with the simple ultrasound photo and birth announcement. This information can potentially lead to identity theft. Seemingly innocent funny videos and photos could be used as future means to violate privacy, humiliate, or even discriminate.
1: Remember to counsel parents that once you post a photo or video on the internet, we have little control of who sees that content. A survey conducted by the Australian government reported that about half of the 45 million images found on a child pornography site were sourced from social media such as Facebook and Instagram. Again, most of the images with the child performing an innocent activity.
0: That's really concerning. This also brings up the point where parents might also underestimate the likelihood that their child could engage in online conversations with strangers. We've already discussed the implications of cyberbullying and that depressed or anxious teens are at higher risk of maladaptive online behavior, including sharing inappropriate photos. This can lead to exploitation by sex offenders, including cyber grooming and child trafficking.
1: It's not unreasonable to have parents discuss with their children the importance of keeping personal information safe by not sharing it with others over the Internet.
0: The AAP also recommends that you treat media as you would any other environment. Parents should know friends online and offline.
1: And don't forget to discuss with parents to warn children about risk of viruses, malware, and phishing scams while online. Parents should know what platform, software, apps are being used by the children and what sites they are visiting.
0: Wow. We've spent quite a bit of time discussing the negative consequences of screen time, but it's important to also talk about the benefits. After all, it's technology that allows us to reach our listeners through this podcast.
1: Yes, technology can help to enrich and improve our daily lives by allowing us to access information at our fingertips. But as I think my mother taught me, all things in moderation, except moderation, which you can have in excess... There are many digital media applications available that have shown to help facilitate learning and increase retention of concepts in education. Interactive media has been particularly helpful to help children learn and communicate, particularly if they have physical or intellectual disabilities such as autism spectrum disorder or a speech impairment.
0: Social networks have also been invaluable to find supportive communities for children with physical or mental conditions, disabilities, and those who identify as LGBTQ. With increasing diversity in the media, children are more likely to learn about, understand, and empathize with marginalized groups.
1: Essentially, screen media can be beneficial for the child and family depending on how it's used. The challenge for parents is choosing appropriate platforms once they do decide to allow their child to have a media device like a tablet.
0: Fortunately, there are some resources out there for parents to help them decide which are appropriate for their child. Common Sense Media is an independent nonprofit dedicated to providing trustworthy information and education about media use.
1: Something I like about Common Sense Media is that it ranks apps by use for learning differences and special needs. The group reviews children's media across multiple platforms, including apps, movies, TV shows, games, and books, and report on age appropriateness, educational value, language, and consumerism.
0: Another great resource that I would recommend to parents is the Joanne Gans Cooney Center, also known as the Sesame Street Workshop. They provide videos for kids and interactive storybooks which attempt to include children of all kinds. So Jake, how else can pediatricians counsel parents on appropriate technology for their children?
1: As we mentioned earlier, technology use should not exclude, diminish, or interfere with healthy communication, social interactions, play, and other developmentally appropriate activities with others. Also, remember that when choosing an app for kids, it should not be distracting and not be used as a distraction.
0: That's right. A good app that requires kids to actively process and figure things out will have a better lasting impact than simply seeing information play out on screen. Games that focus on a child accomplishing a task rather than constantly distracting them with sound effects or flashing lights or other bells and whistles are ideal.
1: A good app will involve others. Apps and games that involve participation from other family members can help children feel connected and increase their engagement with the learning material.
0: Wow, we've really covered a lot of information today, but it's about time to wrap up our episode. Let's take a moment to summarize what we have discussed.
1: Sure, I'll get us started. Pediatricians should facilitate the discussion of digital media use in the home as part of routine health screening at each well visit. This is because excess screen time has implications on physical health, behavioral health, and mental health.
0: Technology is a fantastic tool that has the potential to facilitate education and connect with others. However, overuse of technology increases the risk of negatively affecting a child's development, health, and well-being.
1: When choosing appropriate technology for children, pediatricians should recommend that technology use be educational, developmentally appropriate, and interactive. The younger the child, the more important it is for parents to participate in the screen use with the child to help them understand what they are seeing on the screen.
0: Remember, Not all technology media are created equal, even if labeled as educational. Encourage parents to screen and continue to monitor devices, apps, TV shows, YouTube channels, and social media sites before allowing their child to use them.
1: The use of online social media is riskier than many parents might realize. These risks include cyberbullying, exposure to inappropriate content, violation of privacy, and potential influences of third-party advertising groups. Our role as pediatricians is to provide education and encourage parents to communicate expectations, set limits, and discuss with their children on appropriate use.
0: Thanks, Jake. An additional thanks to Dr. Rebecca Yang and Dr. Zach Hodges who provided editing and peer review of today's discussion. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Department of Pediatrics at the Medical College of Georgia. If you have any comments, suggestions, or feedback, you can email us at mcgpediatricpodcast at augusta.edu. Remembering that all content during this episode is intended for informational and educational purposes only. It should not be used as medical advice to diagnose or treat any patient. Clinical vignette cases presented are based on hypothetical patient scenarios. Remember that free CME credit is available for today's episode. We look forward to speaking to you on our next episode of the MCG Pediatric Podcast.